0: Welcome to Eurograps Express, the new podcast on the Voices of Wrestling Network, all about the wrestling of Europe. I'm your host, Neil David, and I'm really, really excited to be here. This is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, I really love European wrestling, I really love British wrestling, and to be able to talk to you about it in a on a rainy night in the arse end of Salford, it's just exciting. We're going to go through a few different promotions today. We're going to talk about RevPro, my absolute favourite British promotion. I'm going to talk to you about their latest show, Live in London 58. We're coming off the back of an incredible York Hall, an incredible amount of buzz. We're going to take a, a look at progress and see what they're doing. It's probably not going to be very complimentary, as I'm sure you can imagine. But hey, they're progress. We've got to look at them. And then at the end, if we've got time, we'll have a look A few smaller promotions that might be doing something a little bit more exciting. So go and get yourself a cup of tea, get yourself comfortable, and I hope you enjoy it. So everybody seems to be talking about RevPro and it's down in no small part to the five star rating from Dave Meltzer uh, for the fantastic match between Osprey and Oku at York Hall and it was just a brilliant match it says a lot that we can have all sorts of exciting things going on worldwide but all it takes really for a promotion like RevPro to get some buzz behind them is to just have a really really good match and it's really really refreshing Um I think a lot of the buzz has obviously come from that five-star rating from Dave Meltzer. Um, Certain corners can pretend that doesn't mean anything, Um, and that's fine if it doesn't mean anything to you as an individual, but it obviously means something in a grander scale. It means that everybody is, as I said at the start, is talking about, about RevPro, and rightly so. Um it was an absolutely fantastic match. it was violent it was hard hitting it 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 ticked so many boxes of great work and great story and just visceral brilliant violent imagery and Brev pro are being talked about more than ever but while that five star rating is a huge part of the story a huge part of the picture as to why that's happening i think it would be really unfair on andy quilden to assume that that is the whole picture because actually RevPro have been booked brilliantly for a long long time now and yes that individual match was great um but it also is a pinnacle of a build that's been happening for months and months and months and months. To understand this, I kind of think we need to go back to pre-lockdown and to think about what RevPro was before the world shut down. British promotions have always had a little bit of an import paradox, that they can build local talent, that they can book local talent, but ultimately. What people want is to see the big wrestling stars. So they have to get imports in. And when those imports come in, they come with baggage, they come with booking from other places, they come with wants and needs and wills, and the British bookers have to kind of bend to that, otherwise they're not going to get them. Red Pro traditionally have got the best imports. They had access to New Japan talent when New Japan was arguably the best promotion that they'd ever been they had access to the new japan roster from wrestle kingdom 9 to you know 11 12 however you want to put those uh, bookmarks on it and it meant that they were in this really strange position because they had access to these stars and you had to use them you know you've got the opportunity to book Ishii or Shibata or even Tenzan Kojima, Tanahashi whoever it is you have to you have to have to book them I'm thinking of all the times I've driven five or six hours from my home in Salford all the way down south to London and Reading to see those kind of stars it says a lot you know you have to book them and what it meant was is that often on RevPro shows There would be this almost dropping the storylines that they've been building to fit those imports. There were times when they would be building things at the cockpit, their smaller shows, that just didn't fit in the bigger shows because you had to make room for those imports. Then lockdown comes along and we're not getting any imports anymore. And what it did is it forced Andy Quilden to go back to his booking roots. I think it forced him to really think about how to book professional wrestling. Because I wrote a few articles for Voices of Wrestling about how I felt like he was losing his way a little bit, that there were times when he booked a little bit of a mess. You know, Pack against Zack Sabre Jr. is the one that, that, that springs to mind, where it just didn't really make any sense with the way it ended, and it, it was all a little bit sloppy because it was he was navigating a, a minefield of politics. What lockdown forced him to do and in the Epic Encounters series is to make... The best of an incredibly small but incredibly talented roster. He had Osprey, Dan Maloney. Uh, he had RKJ, JJ Gale, and a, a collection of um of young, inexperienced wrestlers. And he just had to make stories with that, and he did it absolutely fantastically. You had JJ Gale who went on this run of singles matches. Uh, you had uh, RKJ building up to being a superstar and building up to being able to challenge Osprey. He got a pin on Osprey early on in the series in a tag match. And then it was this big moment of him trying to follow up. He almost did something that seemed beyond his capabilities and he had to prove that he wasn't a fluke. And we're still seeing the ramifications of that story. Now, we had little things like with... Um, The uh, contenders division having seven match challenge series where they built characters based on real things, based on um, cheating, but trying to convince the audience that they they were righteous and that they didn't really cheat and that they deserved the win. And it was just really, really solid, interesting booking. And yes, this five-star match has got more rise on it, and yes, it's got us talking about it, but if you drop in to RevPro, like many people have over the last couple of weeks, you're dropping into a well-booked promotion with a hierarchy. We have stars at the top, we have a clear, defined uh, mid-card, and then we have the contenders at the bottom working the way up. And what that means is, is that when you look at a card like this and you see a match like um, RKJ against Gabriel Kidd and you think, oh, well, maybe they're kind of a little bit level, that when the winner of that match is going to move up a little bit, it adds stakes straight away. And even if you don't follow the promotion, the way it's presented takes that and explains it to you and forces you to take that story in. I think the five-star match is the reason why we're talking about it now. The five-star match is the reason why I wanted to do this podcast. But we're landing in a really well-built promotion that's going to really bear the weight of those expectations. If you just watched that five-star match and then wanted to use the rest of your free trial to check out the show that we're going to talk about today, you're not going to be disappointed. So let's do that. Let's talk about the show. So we've got Live at London 58. Not the cockpit, uh, which is a shame. I do actually miss the cockpit sometimes. It was a really strange venue to have wrestling in. It was like a like a. Th- it reminded me of the uh, the Manchester Exchange Theatre. It's like a theatre in the round, and I always wondered what the wrestlers could hear you know i know wrestling is a very immediate thing and you get the reactions of the audience really quickly but it tends to be a brash thing a loud thing whereas the cockpit seemed a lot more intimate like maybe a smirk or a or a or a, or a slight laugh at a mistake really sat in the wrestler's mind because it was much more obvious um but you know it is what it is and we're at the 229 and i think the 229 is a great venue um and the show started with a tag match. Dan McGee and Mad Kerr against Sunshine Machine, which is Chuck Mambo and TK Cooper. And the match was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. Um, but I think it was the promo at the end that really made this interesting to me. Um, I think in a lot of ways, Chuck Mambo and TK Cooper really epitomized the change that Red Pro's going through at the minute. Um, they beat Dan McGee and Mad Kerr And McGee and Mad Kurt almost feel like they were the future ones, you know, to paraphrase a criminal. They felt like they were going to be Rev Pro's next thing. You know, Mad Kurt, for a moment, felt really over. And that was always a little bit of a disappointment to me because I was never a huge fan of Curtis Chapman. But then when he evolved into Mad Kurt, I really started to switch off. I think it almost makes me feel like I'm working myself into a shoot because his whole gimmick is that he's a troll and I understand that that he's trying to wind me up Um, he's succeeding in winding me up I don't want to watch his matches there were lots of times to go back to the import conversation before there were lots of times when they put him against the import and His job was to go out, be annoying and get battered, but when you're booking Eddie Kingston or Minoru Suzuki and I have to watch him against Mad Kurt, it just feels a little bit disappointing really so we had Mad Kurt being silly in this match, we had Dan McGee not really doing very much and Sunshine Machine beat them fairly convincingly Um, they're tag team offence was fantastic, they've got a little bit of the Aussie Open about them now sunshine machine, as in they do that hard hitting tag team offence out of nowhere, really quickly, really smooth and really violent but as I said, that promo at the end was the bit that made me feel like there was a little bit of symbolism going they got on the microphone, Chuck Mambo and CK Cooper and they talked about how they were serious now, that they felt career-wise, that they were in the doldrums a little bit and that by getting serious, they've been able to get these belts and McGee and Kurt should do the same thing. And I really liked that promo. I thought it was brilliant. I think the best promos have a little bit of truth in them. They've just got a little bit of a little bit of nuance there that, that maybe doesn't break the fourth wall, doesn't challenge kayfabe, but it just puts a little bit of a crack in it. And I thought that was really interesting because Chuck Mambo was always the perpetual mid-carder, and I suppose he, he still is here. I mean, he's tag team champion in RevPro. I'm not getting overexcited. But he was a Brighton surfer dude who gave the impression that he would n- not bring any money on a night out and scav pints all night. And he was fine, but he was never anyone to get excited about. TK Cooper was kind of the same. He was an entertaining tag team uh, tag team act. Um, he was somebody who was a little bit lost for a long time and it feels like he's gone through a bit of a transformation with this tag team as well and they're exciting again so the advice that they were given was on one hand part of a storyline but on the other hand kind of true and I, I, it It almost reminded me of RevPro itself, that it feels like it's transitioning to a much more serious promotion. It's always been very straight face RevPro, but it feels like we're getting more hard hitting matches, it feels like we're getting more realistic promos and storylines, and it was really nice to hear them say that. Um that being said, the match itself was a comedy opener, and I don't know if I I'm a bit of a a grump when it comes to this kind of thing I don't really like comedy matches in general and I don't really like them um, in the opening I think when I press play on something like this I want to see some wrestling especially if you've got lots of people joining RevPro for the first time using the rest of that free trial after seeing the 5 star match I kind of want to see some action and we got action here but we also got a little bit too much rubbish comedy from Mad Kurt which I think it could have done without Then we moved on to Joshua James versus Alex Coughlin. And Alex Coughlin is an absolute beast, isn't he? He's an absolute beast. And I feel like he, like Gabriel Kidd, who we're going to talk about later, is really showing us that we're entering this new phase of excursions. Um, You know, it used to be that a young lion would go on excursion. They would wrestle... Somewhere you 'd never really hear from them unless you were following that particular territory, and they would come back, but there's almost a feeling that Coughlin and kid and and that that other though you know that that kind of class of especially from the l a dojo are almost becoming world warriors you know they 're going to different territories and just being absolute beasts you know coming out with muscles upon muscles and like real strength looking muscles as well they don 't look like bodybuilders they look like fighters. I think it's really, really cool. And Coughlin here just came out like an absolute star. He is just a big lad. Um, You know, the way they announced him that he was fighting out the LA Dojo, he did a determined pause at the start with a big pose, and he's just an incredibly captivating wrestler. Now, this was an extended squash, and it was against Joshua James, who is... Um, not someone I'm I'm very familiar with. I can see from Cage Match that he's Canadian, that he started wrestling a long time ago, had a big break, uh, and then came back. There's a huge amount of charisma missing from him, I think. He you know, there was great little moments where he would get himself wrestled to the ground and he would he you know, he would he would do these huge slaps that sometimes would land but sometimes they weren't particularly well executed. Um I'm not a body guy. Um, Generally, I don't really care what a wrestler looks like as long as they look intimidating, and he's not got a great look. I mean, he's got a very Kevin Steen kind of body, um, which is fine, but he's wrestling in tiny trunks, and I wonder if um, a a costume change might benefit him slightly. Um, This wasn't... um, a particularly exciting match. It was a little bit too long. It should have just been a squash. But I think if you want to see some strength spots, Alex Coughlin lifting the huge Joshua James several times here, deadlifting him onto his back, um, was just absolutely incredible. Next, we had a women's match. We had Hind versus uh, Debbie Kaitel. The women's division in RevPro is really struggling, and I, I don't think it's anybody's fault in particular. Um, during the Epic Encounter series, um, Andy Quilden built up a really interesting little storyline between B Priestley and um, Jamie Hayter uh, with Giselle Shaw in there, and there was always a revolving door for a fourth person in there and he was he was he was constantly trying to build up that roster and through no fault of his own a lot of them got signed and they went away and, and we're kind of back to square one really. Um, Kaitel probably isn't the best person to build to be a challenger here. Um she seems to want to build the challenge through very onerous promos um that don't quite land um she did it at the York Hall show and this one she came out and was saying something whilst holding up a poster from the merch stand and it was confusing as to what the point was. Um the theme of the show so far and the theme of RevPro for a while now has been about getting serious. But she's silly. Um she doesn't really convince me that she's a she's a threatening challenger. Um Hayen was the corny babyface, um, and I feel like the women's division is stuck in a place that the men's division is moving on from, and I think it comes with 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 booking. It needs to be booked better. Um, there was a really great German off the top from Kaitel to open this. Hyen went onto the top after a while, her entrance music was still playing, and, and Kaitel ran up behind and and jumped her and. Germaned her off the top rope, which was absolutely fantastic, but then it just descended into mainly limb work which, okay uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't really take Debbie Keitel seriously as a as a catch-as-catch-can deadly grappler who will twist your arm into into knots, it just didn't really work like that Hayen sold it well to a certain point but there was lots of NXT-style kickouts with the shock and that fake melodrama um, it had a very very weird structure it felt very 50-50 and I'm not really sure what this achieved if we're building Debbie Keitel to be the next challenger having a goal 50-50 I'm not sure that was something that was w- was needed next up we had a really funny match because we had the undisputed British Cruiserweight Championship on the line and and the champion is someone who's going to be familiar to those people on the two-week trial that we talked about earlier. It's Michael Oku. And when I saw that Michael Oku had been booked to defend the Cruiserweight Championship, I was a little bit confused because, for me, Oku should be selling the loss. Or at least that's what I thought. If not physically, he do not have to pretend that he's injured or anything like that, but emotionally, that wasn't... The York Hall match wasn't a quick match where it was thrown together and he lost and we all move on it was a blood feud it was a match where his girlfriend and his family were disrespected, it was a match that took him to the absolute edge that everyone around him who cared for him and loved him wanted him to throw in the towel who wanted to throw the towel in for him yet here we are against Callum Newman who's a great wrestler who's Will Ospreay's protege who's, who's going to be a massive star but lost at York Hall to Dan Maloney. Now I know that Dan Maloney's a heavyweight and Callum Newman is a cruiserweight, so there's that, but he's not exactly coming off a red hot run, he's coming in off a loss. So I thought this booking was a little bit bizarre, but then the bell rang. And it was just the fastest thing I'd ever seen. It was just it there was just needlessly burn um dangerously burning top ropes. There was Hang time from Newman that was unbelievable. I mean, Newman still got a way to go. A couple of transitions were sloppy. He's very, very young though, and I trust Quilder and I'm excited to see where he goes. But it was just a whirlwind. Um, the third act of the match was great. Uh, the wonderful Ian Hamilton had to act as a base for some dives, and you know we we had some great timing from Newman in reversing submissions. There were big drops onto the apron in kind of a Last of the dragon style uh, move with a huge splash to follow Um, guillotines, Canadian pile drivers it was fantastic it was built really well, the commentary were really good Quilden really built the idea that Newman would be the youngest cruiserweight champ in history um, which again I suppose doesn't really mean very much on the surface of things but it's a nice little wrinkle to add to the match and as I'm watching this match and I'm I'm getting more and more excited and I'm getting more and more into it and I went four stars on this match I thought it was really really good I realised why they were doing it and actually I think the booking and the way they presented this match was great I keep talking about these two week trial people these people who've dropped in because they've heard about this five star match and they're going to watch the next thing that comes on and this was for them this wasn't necessarily for me, although I got a lot from it. This was Rev Pro sticking the flag in the ground and saying, this is what we're about. There were two people who are Rev Pro guys. Oku, I really like Michael Oku, but he would not work in any other promotion. What makes me like him is the connection that he has with the Rev Pro fans. If you were to lift him up and put him in a best of the super juniors, I don't think he'd do very well. He would well, he wouldn't even be in that position. That's not where his successes lie. His success lies in his charisma and what he's built with these fans over a long period of time. This was An exciting match designed to let people know what RevPro was all about, using two guys that RevPro don't have to worry about going elsewhere. Yeah, Callum Newman, I don't know. I suppose somebody, you know, NXT UK might be swooping around him, but he seems like he's got some good mentors around him. It seems like his head is screwed on. It feels like he wants to be a good professional wrestler, and people who recognize that don't want to go to NXT UK. They want to stay in a company like RevPro. And then the promo started. Oku got the mic, and the man's just an effortless star. Um, the promo was a little bit kayfabe-breaking. He talked about how he's on a high about you know this five-star match. He's he's buzzing off it, and he's you know he's, we've seen he's been doing a little bit of a media tour, talking to a few different podcasts, and how he's proud to be in Rev Pro and how he. Um, you know, he welcomed Newman in, he welcomed all the people who were watching it for the first time. It felt like they were really positioning him as an ambassador for RevPro, which is great. But I couldn't help but, thinking, but think that he's just come off that blood feud, he's been disrespected, he got the shit kicked out of him. And he's kind of waving the flag and putting a big thumbs up and being the charming blue eye. I think this was a bit of a necessary evil though. I think that the ends justify the means, and I can see what they're doing and I understand it. You know, they want to establish RevPro as being this unique thing, there's new eyes on the product, and it was probably the right thing to do. Then Osprey came out in a velour tracksuit and meet me in McDonald's haircut and marched his way around the ring. Now, there seems to be two camps on Osprey Pro some people seem to argue that he's really good some people seem to argue that he's absolutely terrible, I think the truth is a little bit of both, I think he is a wrestler who often is his own worst enemy and he can often go a little bit too far he can often be a little bit over dramatic, a little bit silly when he's reined in he's really really good um he got off to a little bit of a shaky start he tried to talk about how big his dick was and used lots of F words and it felt a little bit edgelord um, but his promo was brilliant the line against Michael Oku the insults were absolutely fantastic he he talked about the 5 star match and how great an achievement that was but he said that when no matter how many 5 star matches Michael Oku has his first 5 star match when he thinks of that match he will always have the image of his girlfriend crying as he gets battered by Will Ospreay and I just thought that was an excellent little line, he took shots at NXT UK he took shots at Progress he threatened John Moxley he talked about needing to find a number one contender it was a really exciting promo that felt real, it felt like he was reining himself in a little bit then RKJ came out, and I like this new RKJ. There's been a few RKJs in Rev Pro, and it, his his characters kind of bounced around a little bit, from heel to face to sort of something in between. And um, there's been times when RKJ has been the um like a delusional heel that he's you know barely won a match and and finished by congratulating his opponent like it was a, it was an easy thing and you know oh try you you know you did well there kid try your best next time and and I like that version of RKJ here he's being a pure blue eye he's talking about his son which I liked he's drawing comparisons between himself and osprey that he's a working man who's working 12 hours a day uh, and then wrestling in the evening, training in the evening and barely seeing his son because he's scratching to give himself this life. Um, he mentions food on the table, which I'm led to believe is really difficult to do uh, without NXT UK. So that, that got a whole new level of respect for him from me. Um, And again, it's this serious RevPro. It's this real RevPro. I keep saying serious, but actually I don't think it is serious. I think it's real. A little bit corny at times. There was a line where he said, live your best life because you're going to die your best death to Osprey, which I thought was strange. But overall, they both elevated each other. And I think that if you're someone who is, this is your second ever RevPro show, you're up to speed. You know he's got a pin over him already. Uh, you know that RKJ has lost already to Ospreay as well. It's got you right into the characters of these two and got me excited for a match. And that's what promos do. They make me want to see a match. I'm obviously going to talk about this in more detail later on when we actually talk about the RKJ match. But RKJ is, for my money, the best wrestler in the country. Um, Osprey is one of the best wrestlers in the world. So the idea of these two having a match is great on its own. The fact it's being supplemented with a really interesting story and a really interesting build is is just brilliant. It's not even icing on the cake. It's just, it's just It makes the cake pure pro wrestling, which I really like. Next, we had Dan Maloney against J.J. Gale. Uh, Dan Maloney beat J.J. Gale, as you'd expect. Uh, J.J. Gale's the rookie, but he really is one to watch. He is a very raw wrestling talent, J.J. Gale. Um, you always feel like he's wrestling right on the edge of his ability, um, but it comes across in a really exciting way. There's times when he would do um, moves off the top rope or he'd do dancing around the ropes or he'd do a fancy sort of flipping kick, and it had seemed like he was going to miss. Um but he never, he never did. There was no big botches, but a botch always seemed like a second away. And, and that, I think that's really, really exciting. I think JJ's problem is he's a little bit vanilla. I feel like I should be able to tell you what a wrestler is straight away. And what I mean by that is... I can tell you something about their character and their person and who they are. Um, So with Dan Maloney, he's a bruiser. He's an insecure bruiser. He's a hard man who wants to prove that he's the hardest man in the room. He's prepared to put his opponent at risk in incredibly dangerous looking offense. JJ at the minute is still finding out what moves he can do, but he's incredible. His athleticism is great. Um, He's got speed, power. He's a bit of an all-rounder. He's got the size and he's only going to get bigger as well. Okay, his facial expressions are a bit much um you know sometimes he he can seem a little bit corny when he's he's fighting back from a chop, but again he he's really really young. um Maloney's having a little bit of a a crisis of character. It seems like recently they've tried to make him into that shit talking heel like he here he would react to what people in the audience were saying. Uh, he would kind of respond to them and want to put them down he's not very good at that um, he really isn't and at one point he did a body slam against JJ Gale that can only be described as patronising and I think that patronising body slam said more about his character and about his position and about how he felt about what's going on than any smart line Um the power bomb reversals in this were fantastic. It, it felt that feeling you get when you're watching a really interesting reversal sequence, and that you you kind of twoing and throwing, and, and you're waiting for that the move to finally land, and it gives you that anticipation and that weight and the satisfaction when it ended. Um, it was it was really really skillful. Um, I think JJ Gale, as much as I'm saying he's sloppy. I think he's got the second best cutter in wrestling after Will Ospreay Um, he does the Oz cutter but he does a twist again it's not picture perfect it's not smooth but he literally does a full rotation before he hits the move leaps off the rope, spins around and hits him and I think that's just so impressive it just looks absolutely fantastic obviously Dan Maloney won the match and the way he went back to the locker room was incredible the camera followed him all the way around the ring and he just stared at it, daring you to boo him, daring you at home, the person sat on their couch, daring you to not be impressed by what he's just done. He flipped his middle finger up and he went back. and at the, Compare that to how he left the ring at York Hall the other week where he got the mic and did an extended promo that was barely articulate. I think this was a much much better way of doing it and I hope this is the Dan Maloney that we see more often because he is terrifying, he's got an air of legitimacy to him uh, I think he's absolutely fantastic next we have the semi-main event but I think for most people this is the match that we're tuning into the show to see and this is certainly the one that I was the most excited about and it was Ricky Knight Jr. versus Gabriel Kidd um, I really liked how Gabriel Kidd looked in this match I don't really like the production of New Japan Strong. It feels a little bit low rent sometimes. I feel like I don't really get a feeling of scale with New Japan Strong. But this was in a pub. And to see Gabriel Kidd come out, take his hoodie off and bounce off the ropes. He looked absolutely incredible. Joe Lanz has said before that the greatest wrestlers move differently. I'm watching him just bounce off the ropes. Literally just bounce off the ropes before the match has even started. You could see just how differently Gabe Kid moves. He looks like he's ready to kick the shit out of people. And that's just a a, a one way ticket to get me excited. Ricky Knight Jr. comes out and as I said before, he's he's being a pure blue eye. He's coming out and he's 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 high five in the crowd and I'm not really sure that's the best way to present him especially because when he wrestles that's not how he wrestles at all he wrestles like a fighter, like a brawler Uh, and that's exactly what happened here they went straight to a square up they were butting heads and then they lifted each other up and dropped each other on their necks and as the bell rang and their necks looked like they were about to break I was all in on this match I was ready. There was punches. There was slaps. Um, I thought the commentary sold this brilliantly. Uh, they quilled and shouting, closed fists, closed fists at the ref. It really added to a very, very violent match. The problem really was there was a little bit too much brawling outside the ring. and Maybe that's a me problem. It's not typically the kind of wrestling that I like. Um, they moved around the arena um, well the the pub, it's not so much an arena uh, rubbing each other's heads on bricks and and throwing each other into various walls and it it translated well to the VOD but the problem is when you do that in a venue the majority of the crowd can't see what's going on, so the majority of the crowd aren't really reacting to what's going on, so you you lose a little bit of atmosphere, you lose a little bit of, of excitement and for a, a a match like this where they were really, for the most part, just punching each other and hitting each other and, and and slapping each other's chests, you could have just done that in the ring. I don't think doing it outside added anything to it. I think this match was a little bit of a lesson for me. Um, and really, I suppose, the last few weeks with Gabriel Kidd have been a bit of a lesson, because he was a wrestler that I used to see quite a bit in what culture into Defiant and he was somebody I I dismissed as as rubbish. I'd I I had no interest in him. I I thought he was charismaless, um, boring, even. And now he's one of the hottest things in wrestling. I I am excited to see him wrestle, whether it was from the Kingston match or this or um, obviously the Akira match at York Hall. People are going wild for that one as well. He's just got this incredible edge to him, that he—it's he, just visceral. There's little moments in this match where Ricky Knight Jr. just do a standard pro wrestling thing, like just pick him up off the floor to continue the continue the match. That thing, you know, and wrestlers kind of touch the head, and it's it's code to stand up. And he he pushed him off and stood up himself. And it, it's little moments like that that just just make him much more much more captivating and Ricky Knight Jr is the same He, to me if you follow this company he's just as hot as Gabriel Kidd he's somebody who feels like he's on his way up and when two wrestlers who feel like they're on the way up meet and wrestle and fight it's automatically exciting what was interesting here is that RKJ lost Kidd defeated the number one contender And where does that leave us? It really felt like that promo before was sending us down a very, very particular path. But now it's been pulled out from under us. Because we know that Gabriel Kidd is going to go back to Japan soon. He's going to go to WrestleMania weekend soon. I want to see him beat Osprey. I want to, Well, I want to see the match. I don't know if I want to see him beat him. I understand that Red Pro want the belt to be on someone with a clear New Japan connection. I mean, Ricky Knight Jr., I suspect, will probably get there one day if he, you know, well, maybe not, but I, I think there's a really good chance. But they want the belt on someone with that New Japan connection that's going to mean the belt is on display at Wrestle Kingdom like it has for the last few years. Is Gabe Kidd the person to do that now? Probably not. It was just really interesting booking. Um, the worst part of it was the way RKJ sold the loss. He did a very humble promo. You know, I'm humble in defeat, I'm humble in victory. Being humble in defeat and victory isn't very interesting. And it doesn't really match the ass kicking persona that he puts across in the ring. You know, he shook his hand and said, well done, you got the victory, let's fight again at some point down the line. And it was just a bit alright, mate, you should be annoyed here. You? you know, be unreasonable. You don't have to be reasonable. It's not exciting to be reasonable. Be unreasonable. But we'll return to this later on because uh, there's a, a little development in that story after the main event, which was Shota Aminu and Yota Suji against Aussie Open. I really like Young Lions um, when we get them in the UK. I think it ends up being really exciting because it gives people like me the opportunity to to try and understand wrestling development to try and understand how people go from being young unformed unskilled people at the start of their career into being some of the best wrestlers in the world but i wonder if that changes how i perceive these matches it it makes me look at these wrestlers through a very particular gaze um, I look at Yotosuji and I'm wondering is his heart really in this I'm wondering if he, he when he was told he was going to the UK and going to RevPro is that really what he wanted or did he want to go to Mexico did he want to go to America what did he think about on the plane, had he heard of the snake pit had he you know, did he did he have any British wrestlers that he really liked? Has he has he ever seen World of Sport? Has he, you know, has he has he ever seen those amazing Robbie Brookside matches that we all love and are, are classics that that we still talk about to this day? And in a way, he's a victim of that gaze because I don't think that of any other wrestler. Any other wrestler could come to the UK when ELP came over from Canada and started wrestling here. I didn't look at him and think, "Oh, I wonder, I wonder what British wrestling he knows." And I'm not not in a test; we're not in a gatekeeping way, just in a, in a curious kind of way. Was I overthinking different elements of this? Was I overthinking when the hot tags came in this match? Was I overthinking just how hot they were? Was I evaluating them in a little bit too much detail that stopped me appreciating it on the level that it is? There's something in me when I'm watching Young Lions in RevPro, there's something in me that I want them to be great. I want them to be absolutely brilliant so I can say I got in at the ground floor and I'm scrutinizing them on a level that perhaps is a little bit unfair. So when I saw Yota Suji deliver things in a way that I perceived as not having a maximum amount of effort am I being unreasonable for expecting top effort from Yosu Suji in a pub in London in front of a couple of hundred people you know this man is going to be wrestling in much bigger venues very soon why would he give a shit I've always felt that way about Shota Umino too I think that he's a he's a wrestler with some funny pieces missing he's got the star aura he's got the star look well Diaz now he's lost the gut he he, he clearly had a few too many cheeky Nando's over lockdown and he, he's, he's back in shape I feel sometimes with Shota Rumino you know, his offence is a little bit slow a little bit sloppy but that wasn't really there here in this match I think I think he was really really good I think he was he was, he was pacey he was visceral I think in matches like this, though, we've got to remember that they're facing Aussie Open, and it absolutely amazes me that we still have Aussie Open. They are one of the best tag teams in the world. I'm not saying that lightly. They are one of the best tag teams in the world. The offense, the speed, the smoothness of it all, they're cool. Um, They take me with them with the heel routine they don't have heat in the traditional sense they have heat in this in that kind of 97 wcw horseman sense in that i'm the college kid who's cheering the heels you know it, it's really really cool um the way that they at one point in this match when it had all descended they dunkzilla picked up Ozzy and 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 launched him towards the opponent and said, come on we're in the, you know we need to keep going and it's those little moments that that really make them an interesting tag team I'm going to say something that that's going to hurt me to say I think, because I don't often think this, but I wish Gideon Grey hadn't been involved in this match because the match was really good it wasn't an all-timer it wasn't a classic, but it had some great hot tags, it had some that great offence from Aussie Open I was into it, I was enjoying it Gideon Gray kind of stuck his oar in at various parts and it, it it's not often that I feel that about Gideon Gray he's normally a pleasure to see I'm always surprised that he doesn't get votes for best on interviews in the in the observer I, and and I'm not again that's not hyperbole I think he is one of the best on interviews he's the Rick male of wrestling he's got this brilliant bulging persona who you know screams and shouts and is arrogant and is. You know the way he opened this. He opened this with a promo when he was talking to um, Yota Suji, who he'd recruited to be in the Legion. But Yota Suji turned his back on him, and he, he tries to belittle him and say, "You know, I should have chose Shota Rumino as if as if the choice was his. You know, as if as if he was able to able to have anyone he chose and, and Shota." Um, should be honoured that he was chosen and Yota should be begging for his place back and it's it's a ridiculousness that that really works bizarrely um, but here it was just a little bit shoehorned in I felt like it, that kind of thing is fine in the mid card but this was a main event match and I, I, wished, it, I wished it hadn't have been there it didn't help the Aussie Open uh particularly Kyle Fletcher, just swiped the referee at one point in this match he just punched the referee in the face he wasn't disqualified the match continued they did the fidget spinner, I can't remember what they call it now it used to be the fidget spinner that the big drop and won the match with a really slow ref, injured referee count and I, I could do without those really slow injured referee counts to be honest so this match was a little bit of a disappointment. I felt like Yota Suji and Shota Umino were, were good. They showed good fire at various points. But I feel like Young Lions showed good fire. And I feel like it's time for them to move on a little bit and to improve a little bit. I was really critical of Great O'Karn's excursion. But I thought at this point he was better than Shota Umino is. Obviously there's the lockdown caveat with that as well. But the best part of this wasn't the match. It was the promo afterwards. Osprey came out... To stand together with the United Empire... And who should come out but Gabriel Kidd... And delivered... A fantastic promo. He got the mic... People started to talk over him... And he said, I've got the mic... So shut the fuck up. He was a bruiser. He was a chav. There was no corny pauses... There was no performance-centered um, tone... it never felt like I was watching someone deliver a promo it felt like I was watching a really hard man threaten to batter three squirts and I was absolutely invested in this promo he said he'd fight any of you he threatened to headbutt people he said that he's going to be fighting while Osprey's buying his mates Versace dressing gowns what an absolutely brilliant promo. And the, the the match, the tag match is fine. You know, it's a three, three and a quarter, three and a half star match. But this promo at the end was fantastic. He mentioned the fact that he would pinned the number one contender and said that, you know, he's flying back off to Japan and he wants to fight Kyle Fletcher in Southampton in the upcoming show. So we're going to get another really interesting match. I think Gabriel Kidd is my favourite wrestler at the minute. He's somebody who I, if he's having a match, I want to see it. I don't care who he's wrestling because everybody he wrestles, every announced match sounds exciting. It sounds absolutely incredible that he's wrestling Kyle Fletcher. I want to watch that match. I think it'll be fantastic.
1: uffiofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co So overall, live at Cockpit
0: 58. Oh, sorry, I've uh, slipped up. Live in London 58. We're not in the cockpit anymore. It's at the 229. This was a really, really good show. It was an easy show to watch. And all these things that I'm talking about, all these niggles, are really enjoyable niggles to chew on. And I think that's the great thing about RevPro, is that there's always something to think about. There's always something to chew on. You never feel like you're wasting your time watching RevPro these days. So next up, we are in Southampton with RevPro. And the card looks really, really good. Um, again, this, it speaks to the strength of the roster that they can just almost throw together matches, and they look really exciting. You've got Michael Oku versus Luke Jacobs, which I think will be a really interesting match. Luke Jacobs is a funny one. He's really good. He's a Northern wrestler. He's he's trained in the in a lot of the schools near me, and I, I've seen him quite a lot. He often gets swallowed up in larger venues uh, by bigger stars. He, he's, he's still finding his feet a little bit, but against Michael Oku in a smaller venue is really interesting. There's Alex Coughlin versus Mark Davis, Dunkzilla. Zilla. That's going to be an absolute slap fest. You've got Kyle Fletcher versus Gabriel Kidd. And as I said before, Gabriel Kidd matches I just want to watch, and Cal Fletcher is fantastic, especially now he's put on the weight. He, you know, he looks great. He's a fantastic wrestler. Will Osprey versus Lee Hunter. Uh, Lee Hunter is a is a workhorse. He's a, he's a he's not a wrestler I've seen a great deal of. He works in the southern uh, part of England much more than he does in the north. Um, but that's Will Osprey. Um, you know, we've got um Yotasuji and Shota Umino against Lycos Jim, which will be um, probably a three star match. But this is a really solid looking card. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about it on the show in a couple of weeks' time. So don't sleep on RevPro, I think, is the uh, is the moral of the story. Um, and as if to prove that point, um Grapple have tweeted That they're the only European promotion to make the Grapple 100 this year a quarter of a million ratings across 25 promotions and the only promotion in Europe to be in the top 100 matches of 2021 was Repro four times four times they have four matches in the top 100 Uh, and that's the same amount as main roster WWE so for a promotion with an absolute percentage of the resources in the, a European territory to get the same amount as the biggest wrestling company in the world I think is quite an achievement. So that's RevPro. Go and do your wordle. Go make yourself a cup of tea. And we'll be back to talk about some more European wrestling. So let's head to Friar Tuck territory now. We're going to go to Nottingham and talk about Wrestle Carnival, which is a strange promotion. Uh, they were sort of a, a successor promotion to Wrestlegate Pro Wrestling, which is probably one of the worst name promotions of all time. I think having Wrestle in your name of your promotions really silly. But what they did is bring over... All Japan stars—they brought over Shuji Ishikawa just before lockdown, and, and Joe Doran, and, um which is just, which is kind of bonkers, really, because you know they flew those over, and who knows how they got the money to do it, but they did. Um, but that promotion died, and now they've evolved into Wrestle Carnival, which is that they're an okay promotion. That you know that they they tend to do fairly typical British wrestling stuff but then always have an interesting link, always have something exciting there um, but they've had links with uh, Ring of Honor um, Chris Ridgeway had a, had a pure title match against um, Jonathan Gresham earlier in the year and well last year and now they're putting on a match between Yota Suji and Gabriel Kidd And as I've talked about before, I'm really high on Gabriel Kidd at the minute, like everybody is I think, and that was enough to get me to watch the show. It took place on the 30th of January, uh, like I say, Nottingham at the Portland Centre, and one of the first things that struck me about the show, and it's available on their Patreon, it's it's £4 a month and you you get everything they do, um, was how much better the production values were than RevPro. I promise you I'll move on from RevPro at some point, but it's often embarrassing how bad their production is I don't necessarily mean from a camera point of view but certainly from a sound and an audio point of view Um, but the Wrestle Carnival which in theory should be a much smaller show I mean this is slightly above trainee level but they've not got much in the way of kind of big stars here Um, but I could hear what the commentary were saying they didn't embarrass themselves I mean the, the hard cam was a little bit low But for the most part, it was a really well-produced show. And it really confuses me why, when Andy Quilden is screaming, ''Oh my gosh!'' why I have to have so much distortion. I've never done a podcast before in my life, and I feel like I sound better on this. The show was very much a mixed bag. There was uh, a couple of um, half-scramble Royal Rumble-style matches... Um, to to crown two champions, one of which was Charles Crowley, who, you know, he's, he's Charles Crowley. He's, he's a he's a very pantomime esque villain, and and that's what a lot of the show is really. It's 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 that kind of style of wrestling. It's it's not the kind of straight face wrestling that we get from rev pro it's it's got a cadence to it you know it's all bow down and i'm a baddie and i'm going to do fake laughs and that's that's all fine it's it's aimed at that sort of crowd um but there was a couple of matches on the show that that stood out one was a wxw um championship match axel Tisha was over against joe hendry um mileage varies on joe hendry doesn't it really he's, he's one of those who you watch him and he does his songs and he you know with this with the in this particular show he changed ass man billy gun's old theme to axe man um which was um yeah it was hilarious um hendry came out and controlled the limbs and you know it was a, it was actually a, a decently well well worked enough match and it surprised me how much henry was over uh, the match was fairly average overall there was nothing particularly exciting going on but everyone put effort in um and it ended and obviously axel won and henry again remains just a baffling entity to me that he gets booked i think he's i think he's he, he's cringe personified but there we go he's obviously doing something for somebody um well then we got to Gabriel Kidd in Yotosuji. Um now Gabriel Kidd is from Nottingham. He's a hometown hero and, and he was played as such and he came out to a really rapturous um welcome from the crowd. He he hugged someone in the crowd who I assume was his mum or his cougar, I'm not sure which, but he was somebody he was very close to and he had that that that, that lovely feel and he, he kinda of softened himself a little bit for this one, which which worked, you know, he wasn't in a different promotion and it is always interesting to see these these people when they work in different promotions that don't have any connections really with each other you know it's not that, that they have to make everything link and and um, that again the production really really helped this match because as kid was having this this hometown re- reaction this hometown welcome Yota suji was in the ring with his back to him and they positioned the camera perfectly to get that lovely moment um, but kid might be playing a bit more blue eye but that didn't stop him getting right in Yotasuji's grid uh, right up to his face and, and we knew we were going to get classic Gabriel Kidd and, and Yota Suji here um, we had some proper grappling to start off and again you get these little moments that, that make great wrestlers great like it wasn't just an arm bar or a, a, a twist or, a, or whatever it was, it was an arm bar with a slap on the shoulder as well just to emphasise it, just these little moments that made it um, just elevated it slightly and there was some really lovely production I was really impressed with how well for such a small company how well they filmed this um they built the wrestling up slowly it was very much a contest at the start then Suji stopped the match put his hands behind his back and then slapped his chest and invited Kid to slap the shit out of him and slap the shit out of him he did he went to the outside and Kid was lodged across the chairs um and then Suji went full heel, and he did it really, really well. Um, he was a very traditional structure at this point. He was the hometown hero getting beaten down by the evil heel. Um, you know, outside the ring at one point, he was saying, "Come on, come on!" to Kid, and Kid was punching him, and then he just stamped on his foot and sent him down. It was just, it was really interesting to see Suji do that. There was moments where he tied him up in a bit of a submission move, and he ended up kind of sat on him, and he, he, he. Fanned himself with his with his fan. Um, Kid really got badly beaten down, and Suji was really dominant. Which which I don't know. I think maybe you're taking a little bit into this from what I already know of Kid, and and uh, I I've, I've seen him be dominant, and I've seen Suji be less so. So maybe I had a little bit of baggage from previous matches. So I didn't quite buy that. Um, but one of the things I did buy was when uh, Kid delivered one of his horrendous clotheslines lines. Suji no-sold it, you know, and then there was a kick-out at one and it was just a really, really hard-hitting match an unnecessarily hard-hitting match um, that shows two wrestlers who take pride in the work and I actually think this, is, this match is the best Yota Suji has been in the country I think this is the best I've seen him on his excursion um, whether he can play that big bruiser role remains to be seen I think he certainly made steps in that direction in this match Um, but he's definitely one to seek out you get a month on the Patreon for four quid Um, you know I I think that's that's pretty good value I don't feel ripped off and it just you know you don't have to watch the rest of it I guess you can just watch the bit that interests you Um, so that's our little trip to the territory of Robin Hood I've put it off long enough I think it's time to talk about progress So Progress are back and they're under new management. Um they are now owned by uh, Lee McAteer and Martin Best. Uh Lee McAteer is involved in Wrestling Travel, which is a, a, a wrestling travel company that uh, you know could do these package deals to to WrestleMania and things. So he's he's in the wrestling business. He's clearly has an awareness of it. Um and they're both Lee and Martin. Involved in uh, Tranmere Rovers, which is a a football team on the Wirral. Um, Now, I know absolutely nothing about football. I believe Tranmere Rovers aren't very good. Um, Or maybe they are good, I don't know. Jeff Jarrett likes them. So, you know, obviously Jeff Jarrett doesn't put his name on things that don't turn to gold, so maybe they are. But we got an email saying they're under new ownership, and... I don't really know what I expected from progress. We've had two shows in the last few weeks, um, only one of which is up on VOD. Despite the fact the second show happened a week ago now, um, and I think it's time to reevaluate how we feel about progress because when I started this podcast, and I, I just you know, I want to talk about British and European wrestling that I like. Um, but there's the shadow of progress hanging over it in a lot of ways because I can't not talk about progress I can't, or at least I feel like I can't talk about progress I I can't ignore progress Um, despite the fact that I don't know if I really want to talk about them I don't know if I'm particularly interested in them because what I'm really doing is going by the cards I'm looking at the cards, and I'm, I'm deciding, you know, of, of any show, really, whether it's a Rev Pro Progress, and, that you know, we've just talked about Wrestle Carnival, and that, the reason why I talked about the Carnival is because I looked at that card, and I saw a match that I thought was interesting. When I'm looking at the Progress cards, and I'm seeing, you know, Harry Singh versus Antonio Gogo. I want to watch it to see Anthony Ogogo I guess but I'm not excited when I see Session Moth Martina versus Tonga or Dean Allmark versus Tate Mayfairs. these are you know these are matches that, that scream premium to me they are matches that scream give me £35 to go and watch you and that's that's what they're charging they're charging premium progress prices I think it's really strange that they've not changed anything they're under new management but there's no rebranding there's no change to sort of setup. and in a way I, I think maybe there was no choice because obviously they're on the wwe network the first show is on the minus anthony gogo is on the wwe network and they've obviously bought that content they've got this this package that they expect to be delivered and they, I would imagine, and I'm, I'm just speculating with this, I don't know anybody at Progress, I don't have any kind of inside, um, any inside knowledge, but you would kind of expect them to be restricted because, you know, they can't just go and change the presentation, they can't just change um, what it looks like because they've got people who are they are enslaving to now. They've they're, they're not independent anymore. They they've got people who they have to answer to. Um. I can't remember who it was. I'd love to give them credit for this because I think it's it was a, it was a great analogy or a great way of putting it that progress are the feeder system to WWE's feeder system of the feeder system. And you look at the card and you look at the names that you're seeing, and I like a lot of these names. I like Dean Allmark. I like Lana Austin. I like Chris Ridgway. What we've ended up with, I think, in a lot of ways, is kind of a sensible soccer version of the old progress. And Sensible Soccer is a a, a video game about soccer, believe it or not. And they never had the rights to use the official names, so they changed them slightly. So instead of having Ryan Giggs, you would have uh, Brian Goggs, so you saw of knew what it meant. It had a flavour of 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 the FIFA game or whatever it might have been, but it 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 was it wasn't quite the same. And it it starts off exactly like this. We used to get um, Jim Smallman, but in this instance we get Simon Miller and I don't have anything against Simon Miller obviously, I know he's got a, a big follower on YouTube, I don't really know what he does, I know he lots of people watch him do whatever that is um, but he did the pre-show banter, but it was bizarre, it was like almost like baudrillard has this ideas about simulacra and simulacrum and how things are uh, uh, you recognize things but they they they're copies and where does the copy end and the real begin and i recognize i had somebody in the ring doing pre-show banter and i i i I, I, I thought it was good on its own merit but it, it doesn't exist in its own merit because it's just a copy of what's gone before without that magic that Progress had, because Progress did, and it's easy to to slam Progress, and I've done it on this, <laughs> I've done it on this already a few times, um, but it's easy to forget that, at for one time, they were the hottest ticket in wrestling, you know, outside of like, big New Japan shows, they were, I remember listening to Flagships, and, and Joe Lanza was talking about how one day, he wants to come to the electric ballroom, and watch a show, you know, I was, I appeared on a, um, a Wrestlemania preview uh, for Voices of Wrestling years ago and Progress were there and Rich was saying how he would go and he really wants to see the pre-match banter you know you forget that this translated really well so we still got this pre-match banter but it's Simon Miller doing it and it's just a bit weird it's just not really funny it's a weird copy of what we've had before and there were just moments where just before I think it was just before the Dean mark or uh, Tate Mayfair's match, or maybe just after. And he sort of went out the ring and he said, How are you doing? And he shoved the microphone in someone's face and they kind of awkwardly said, I'm fine. And the next guy realised that, oh no, I'm supposed to be into this, so when he said, How are you doing? He said e-, and he went, I'm excellent. And it was just very forced. And he he wasn't natural, he wasn't relaxed. And then he Simon Miller jumped back in the ring and I don't know I don't want to slander the man and say he 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 didn't quite get in the ring on purpose. He sort of half fell back and then went, Oh no, Botchamania Um I'm not making this up, by the way. This is I'm, I'm recounting, and I, I'm trying not to do this. When I started the podcast, I said I'm not just going to recount matches. I'm not just going to tell you what happened, or you know, regurgitate promos because I'm assuming you've either seen them or you, you you'd rather get a feel and a vibe of them. But I don't really know how to feel about the presentation because it's a copy of something that was good once that died out, that that sold its soul, and 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 and. Was rightly left to die, that has now been bought and now just kind of lives on. And I think the most interesting take I've I've seen was from Will Cooling on the uh, British Wrestling Experience, who speculated that maybe because the guy who bought it owns Wrestle Travel, he just wants the mailing list, which I think is you know sounds bonkers, but I, I but then again does it. Progress is a is a is a really really strange promotion to think about, and they always were in a lot of ways. I remember speaking to people who were progress fans; they weren't wrestling fans, they were progress fans, and some of them are there, maybe certainly. You know, I don't think many people listening to this are there. Um, well, let's have a look at this first card. We had uh, chapter one twenty-seven. The word was progress. Uh, it was in the electric ballroom. Um, And we did have some okay stuff on this from an in-ring point of view. Um, To the point that the commentator said he, uh, and I quote, legitimately brushed his teeth for this. So, well, yeah. Um, Dean Allmark had a match. And I I really like Dean Allmark. I'm always going to have an interest in his matches. He's, He's somebody right from feels like my early days of going to independent shows like things that I probably wouldn't go to now like Preston City wrestling things like that that he's always there he feels like he's just been around forever and he's he's my favorite type of british wrestler um in that he feels like someone who's a plaster I don't know I've no idea I don't know anything about the bloke but I feel like he's a plasterer in the day but he loves wrestling you know I feel like if you were to ask him about Toriyama, on he would be able to talk about it. You know, he's somebody who's got a lot of interesting things and a lot of interesting ideas at wrestling. He was realistically never really going to make it to a bigger stage, but he's still brilliant at what he does. He's a solid veteran hand. Um, my favorite, actually, in that genre of wrestlers who look like plasterers, is uh, Robbie X, um, who I've not seen for a while. Actually, I don't know what he's, he's doing these days. He was he was around RevPro quite a lot. Um, he had a great match with um, with RKJ in the uh, just before lockdown. But anyway, I digress. Um, but Take Mayfair's Dean Ormack's opponent was, you know, he's very very NXT UK. He's very much playing a, a character in a way that just doesn't really translate for me. Um, you know, we talked earlier on about. Promo's not feeling like promos, you know, feeling like a person is talking, and I feel like that should be the accepted standard. And someone like Tate Mayfairs feels like a character. Um, for me, that's a criticism. For you, your mileage may vary, but I, I'm not really into that. Uh, then we had a match: Session Moth Martina against Tayanga. Um, Session Moth Martina is obviously a comedy wrestler, and I, I like Session Moth when I'm live. I feel like if I'm in the building, I find it funny. If I'm watching it on a VOD, I don't. Um, it feels like a joke that you've heard a lot. She's been around for a while now. She's been doing the same routine. You know the the um, the, the session moth is a is Irish slang for somebody who gets drunk and goes to different parties. And it's you know it's a fi- like I say it's a fine gimmick when you're there live. I'd, I'd think on VOD, it's, it's it's not really for me. Um, Tonga. I really like her, I think she's got something I think she's somebody who again I've seen up in the north, she she seems to, to do a lot of the training school shows up here that I go to and, and, and she's always been really good um, this is too soon for her and again it kind of reminds of that dichotomy of progress, is that when you hear progress and you see it's on the WWE network and you think of progress and you think of all these matches that have happened in the past that that, that isn't what progress is anymore, you know this is development of a development of a development and it it it's it's tricky to sometimes to sort of change that mindset and when you see wrestlers like these and you think well they're not progress standard well actually they are you know cuz of what progress is now um Anthony Ogogo turned up uh, and I, had a 6 minute match against Harry Singh which is not on the WWE network so what's going on there I don't know whether you know his AEW contract has expired um, I would be really interested to see what reaction he got. Um, not interested in enough to pay for demand progress, but I would be really interested enough to see, uh, interested to see what reaction he got because there's been this thing about Ogogo, especially from. When you know Americans are analysing AEW and thinking about what would happen if they eventually come to the UK, which which I'm I'm certain they will. In fact, Tony Khan kind of said, hasn't he, that you know you can't call yourself a wrestling promotion unless you've been to the UK. Um, but there's this idea that they could build Anthony Go Go up to hey be a draw in England, and I don't subscribe to that anymore. I thinking about of this purely as a fan, if I went to see AEW in the UK, I don't really feel like having a British star there would make any difference. I want to see AEW. I want to see the Bucks and Omega and Page and, and Moxley and, and, and uh, Kingston and all their stars. And if you want to do it that way, you've got pack there already. I don't think Anthony Gogo necessarily brought that much to the table in his feud with Cody Rhodes. It was a good feud um, to a certain extent, but I don't know. I don't know how much worth a go go has to AEW if if your idea is to, pure, if he's purely there to break into the British market for AEW, because that's, you know, it's not 1992 and he's not the British Bulldog, so it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the best match on the show for me was the tag team title match. Uh, it was the Smokin' Aces and they defeated the Sunshine, uh, Sunshine Machine. Um, the best match on the card, and it was three and three quarters. Um, through, uh, he was he was good, it was really good. Um, it's interesting to see the sunshine machine working in progress. Um, they didn't have their RevPro belts with them. Interesting, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, but sunshine machine and I've sung their praises on this show, and I do really like them. Um, but they do work. Um, to the level of their opponents, so when they're against. You know the the Smoking Aces; they're going to be slightly better than when they work against Mad Kurt and um, Mad Kurt's tag team partner. Who, you know, I don't even want to go back and re-record this. Uh, Dan McGee. um, You know that's going to be slightly worse than the Smoking Aces, and your Aussie their their Aussie Open match at York Hall is going to be slightly better. Uh, But they do have a a working standard um, to a certain extent. Um, TK Cooper is really good. You know, it's a weird thing to say about somebody, but I really like the way he runs the ropes. He's got a, a, a speed to him, a volatility to him, a, 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 like a, a live wire almost. He, he jumps out of nowhere. They've got some great signature offense. There's this, that move where they. If, sort of a kick and a monkey flip combined and you know smoking Ace is a really good basis for this. They were in the right places at the right time. Chuck Mambo's hot tag was really good. Charlie Sterling no sold some chops and returned them and in that kind of bruiser style, which I really liked. And he you know Charlie Sterling really put his body on the line on this. They were some great moonsaults. Um but the problem is it got a little bit contrived you know there was a bit where they tried to do mirrored super kicks but their legs got tied together and they just stood there while their legs were inexplicably linked and there were mirrored splashes and um, then the this is progress chant started and I thought yeah it is isn't it it is progress this now um, Nick Riley has the worst Spanish fly since records began He nearly murdered someone in the ring, Um, and then at the end, Lycos Jim came out, which is kind of not really the pudding you want after that. Um, But he was he he was actually quite a quite a good match, Um, and like I say, the best match on the show. Then we had Lana Austin against Charlie Evans. I like Lana Austin. Again, Northern Wrestler. Seen her a lot in local promotions up near me. A progress character is not good. It's very strange comedy. Um, you know, like, not pretending she can't get in the ring so she needs a seat um, to stand on to get into the ring and over-exaggerated ah's on the selling and uh, you know, shut up to the crowd and it just, it just doesn't really work Charlie Evans is presented as a bruiser but a lot of her offence is really weak so everything ended up feeling really oversold but actually the pieces were there for something good but just nothing really gelled in the match at all so it ended up, you know, it'll be something that um, by the time I wake up in the morning I'll have completely forgotten about there was a six way match for the Progress World title number one contendership which Warren Banks won Beating Malik, Dan Maloney, Jody Fleisch, man like Dereese, and Roy Johnson. And actually, this was really good fun. Um, it was what it was. It was a spot fest, but that's for me, that's not necessarily a criticism. Um, it was overbooked. Um, you know, it was that taking turns thing where there'd be a big move and four guys would just wait around outside while usually Jody Fleisch. Um, battled in the ring and it was Jody Fleisch that, that really was the glue that kept all this together and he was forty one years old and um and he was brilliant. I mean I'm I'm a little bit tired of contrived spots now, you know, the, the groups of blokes grabbing each other to form a base for a, a moonsault. He's cool in a in a in a moment but it's never gonna make a, a brilliant match for me. Um What was devastating to me during this really was how abysmal the commentary were. Um some of the things that they were saying were just bizarre. When Jodie Fleisch was was, was being Jodie Fleisch, they said he's like the Matrix Reloaded, which I don't I mean, I'm a fairly big sci fi fan, I don't know if Matrix Reloaded is is the go to Compliment, really. If 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 you're going to say someone's good, I don't really know if that's the one that you go for. Another one they said that I wrote down here is um, he's like a video game character that comes preloaded with specials. which he's just—he's very how-do-you-do-fellow-kids, which I guess he's progressed. You know, that's fine. Um, there was a great spot towards the end where pins were broken up in quick succession by people diving off the top rope. And the best one was uh, Dan Maloney got Joe Fleisch in the driller and just dumped him on top of about six uh, other people. And it, that, that was really, really cool. Um, in the end, Warren Banks won, and, and we've got our uh, number one contender. Then we have the finals of The Revelation of Divine Love. Uh, tournament which made the number one contender for uh, Giselle Shaw's title uh, which Rio won again a very very forgettable match Um, Rio I do like I think she really commits herself to everything and, and some of the bumps that she took here were fantastic she took an immense bump against the wall and you can't deny that kind of effort um, she did a, a suicide dive at one point which wasn't quite received properly and she just thudded on the floor like it just like a belly flop it was just a, a, a stunning thing, a uh, bit of awkward interference from Tonga which just wasn't really necessary, there was just a few telling stories moments but I actually think Rio might have an alright match against Giselle Shaw um, but we will find out and then we're into the main event it's uh, Cara Noir the champion against the challenger Chris Ridgeway um, in a 3 out of 5 falls match now sounds ridiculous actually it kind of makes sense because they had an Ironman match uh, I think it was back in November uh, in one of the uh, no fan shows uh, that went to a 6-6 draw um, and progress people think that match is amazing um, they really do um, it's fine and I, I think this was better I think this was actually pretty good um, if you can get past the the, the gimmick match. Um, I mean, I liked the first one because there were lots of falls, and I really liked Chris Ridgeway, and, and this had the same. But there was the expectation of the falls here that maybe wasn't there in the Ironman match because you were more um, keeping score. But then this had the crowd, so I, I, you know, I think that the, the, this um, elevated it slightly. Um, I think though it's time for. Me to sort of lay my cards out on the table. I think Caranoa stinks. I think they're absolutely terrible. I uh, I just I find the entrance so cringy. Um. I remember the first time I saw it and I thought it was pretty cool. And I'm at the point now where I I just find it like I don't really feel like he does it very well. You know, like the way he's kind of stumbling around when he's he's lifting his arms up. I feel like I don't like what he's doing anyway, and he's doing it quite badly. Um, And then once the bell rings, Karon is just dead average. Um, He is competent. I think there are things he does that I like, but I'm not very excited by him. Um, There was some rolling around at the start of this, and and grappling, and and the the early falls were were kind of sneaky pins, so... um, Ridgeway had Cara in a, in a headlock, and, and Cara ended up pinning him, and and it was he kind of took everybody by surprise, and and the crowd almost laughed when it happened, which I, th- I thought was strange. Um then there was another sp- sneaky pin from Ridgeway; he got it back, which was much better received. There was a little bit too much of awkward standing around in this. It, it just didn't. like the early stages lacked a bit of dynamism. The problem with these. You know, X out of X falls matches is that really you're waiting to get to the final fall? You know, it takes a Kenny Omega and a a Kazuchika Okada to make these brilliant. It really does. I think it's it's just difficult. I really like Ridgeway's kicks. He was very violent. It led to a a pinfall, and it it just the cadence is off because things are getting pinfalls that wouldn't normally get pinfalls. I liked Ridgeway really quickly tapping on a sleeper because it was a little bit tactical and then there was a great ground and pound section, there was an ankle lock outside that was nice and I feel like I'm doing the worst possible thing when I'm reviewing a match because I'm just telling you what happened I enjoyed it the crowd elevated it, they were really into it, I like this idea that Ridgeway just can't get the job done it just it, it never approached that four star rating for me I, I i think that i have this big kind of car and noir um barrier that i just I, i'm really really struggling to get past um at the moment well ever really but it did have a great atmosphere the split crowd worked really well and um ridgeway looked absolutely destroyed overall to be fair this was a, a solid show um, there were matches I didn't like, um, it suffered from the fact that probably no one really cares very much, so it's, it's hard to get excited about progress really, uh, because it, it feels like a, an empty promise doesn't it, you know it's a big reboot, it's a big change and realistically like we said at the start, their hands are tied, they can't change it, because it is what it is and um, I think a couple of decent matches is, is is what we can expect i think really now the problem with progress is the viewer not so much the product itself the product just kind of is what it is i really really wanted to talk about the manchester show um and as i've said i, I live in manchester it was about a 15 minute drive from my house and i didn't go um the prices they were asking were ridiculous. But I really wanted to see that Jonathan Gresson match and I'm recording this nearly a week after it, the show happened and I can't talk about it um, and I know that's a common thing with a, with a lot of places and, and RevPro have been slow to get things up in the past and it's, it's something that always frustrates me I, I don't understand what the delay is um, you could argue there was no buzz so it didn't matter they could get it whenever they wanted but that is what it is that's progress thank you for listening I hope you've enjoyed yourself I hope it's been relaxing a relaxing tour of some of the highlights in European and British wrestling this week if you're on Twitter you can follow me at Eurograps EXP all one word uh, at Chubby underscore Cthulhu if you want to follow me You can read all my stuff on Voices of Wrestling and I will see you in a couple of weeks' time.